Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Before we get started with today's show, I wanted to tell you all about SeatGeek, who's sponsoring today's episode of the Hockeypedia cast. If you've literally listened to any of the billion podcasts out there, you've probably already heard this exact spiel before, but if you somehow just came to planet Earth and this is the first podcast you've ever checked out, or you just need a refresher, let me tell you about SeatGeek and the services they provide. In just a couple clicks, they'll do all the heavy lifting for you and finding the best possible seats available. They essentially scour the internet in a matter of seconds, put together the best values with their incredibly easy-to-use color-coded system of price ranges and locations, and you just go from there. I know it's pretty dry right now when it comes to live sporting events, but, you know, there's still MLS soccer and baseball on, and it's a pretty great time to get out of the house and check out some concerts as well. Uh, the best part of it all is that if you name drop the PDOcast when you use their services, they'll even provide you with a $20 rebate to use on future tickets. So all you got to do to make that happen is download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code, enter the promo code PDO, and SeatGeek's going to send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. The other thing I wanted to, to get to is I wanted to ask you guys for a favor. Uh, please consider taking a second to leave a review and a rating for the PDOcast on iTunes. I know you've probably, you know, you're some combination of busy and or lazy, but it only takes a minute or two of your time tops, I promise. And it means a great deal for both myself and the staying power of the show. If you go leave us a five-star review and a glowing comment, um, you know, I'll take any sort of compliments, but I especially appreciate the personalized PA parent or type of reviews that a few of you have left since they do show a certain baseline level of attentiveness and affection. Uh, anyways, with that out of the way, let's listen to the music and let's get to the good stuff. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dimitri Filipovich, and joining me is my is my good buddy Justin Bourne. Justin, what's going on, man? Not a whole lot. This is uh, my first podcast and my repeat uh, return to the media world. So yeah. I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited. I was going to say, is this your first public appearance? Other than that, uh, that I, I mean, I guess if you can, if a podcast even counts as a public one, but I mean, you made that triumphant uh, announcement that you're returning to the media game, but then you've been kind of quiet since then. Yeah, yeah, no, I, uh, I've done a couple of radio hits, but um, nothing too much. It's, uh, it's a nice time for my wife and I here. She's, uh, she's off on maternity leave, and uh, I've got a little bit of a break till uh, I start full-time with The Athletic. That's uh, August 15th, so we've, uh, we've got a nice little window here. Mm. Okay, well, well, we'll get into uh, The Athletic and some of the work we can expect from you later, but I did want to 
start off talking about something else and and I often get asked by uh by people who listen to the show why I don't have uh people that work in the league in some capacity whether it's players coaches or executives on the podcast and the answer is always sort of the same. I mean, you know, I have no doubt that they'd provide tremendous amounts of uh, enlightening insights and entertaining anecdotes to share with the listeners. But at the same time, I know exactly how those discussions will go, because as soon as you press record and the conversations on the record, there's uh, a ton of cliches being spouted and, and no one really wants to say anything that will rock the boat or cause controversy or burn bridges with either their for, uh, future or current employers. And I totally understand why they do it. and I respect it. But at the same time, it doesn't exactly lend itself for for great content, um, and no. Uh, the, the reason why I say that is because I think it's a you know I think you're the perfect person to have on this show because you've sort of been part of both worlds now, having worked in the public uh, blogosphere, but also now having worked uh, with the Toronto Marlies. So I feel like you can probably bridge that gap a little bit and weave a nice story to satisfy both camps. Yeah, I certainly hope so. I uh, I kind of feel at times like I. I had like a two-year inter- internship behind the scenes, just had a real look at, uh, you know, how the sausage is made for the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Marlies. And, um, you know, I, I was happy that they, they gave me as much access as they did. And, um, you know, I was able to, you know, I had access to the Leafs analytics website and saw the work they did. Obviously, I can't talk too much about that, mm. but uh, happy to, uh, to bridge any gaps and, uh, yeah, fill you guys in or whatever I can. Okay, so yeah, I, I, you know, I obviously don't want to make you uncomfortable, get you in trouble, but I imagine the listeners of the show are fascinated to get a bit of a peek behind the curtain, as you just mentioned, and learn about what your job entailed. And you know, you were on on the Toronto Marlies coaching staff as a video coach for essentially two full seasons. And I guess a good place for us to start here is just sort of, I don't know, like like how that how that work because I imagine there was obviously a lot of kind of combing through tape and cutting clips for future use and stuff like that, but just. What was what was the day to day like, and and what sort of what, what was your job description, and beyond just the actual title itself? Right. Well, to to be fair to to anyone listening, I didn't know what a video coach really did when I was playing. Uh, you know, nine years ago or whatever it was. Now um, that wasn't uh, you know wasn't even really a position, and now it's 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 on every team. And I'll just give you a quick walkthrough of uh, on the day to day in general. Um, we would post uh, sheets for the players. We would, you know, we're scouting the, uh, the, the opponent uh, as a team, their systems, how they play, whether that be off offensive zone, one face off or loss draws or a neutral zone, four check regroups, breakouts. Um, and my job for the most part was to, um, you know, download the most recent games that the, that our future opponent uh, played um, break the game down. So, uh, you know, as you watch the game, you hit buttons, you know, for face, uh, if it's a face off, I'm hitting F, and that prompts it. It knows it's clipping a face-off, and then it says our player number, their player number, so on and so forth. So there's prompts, probably about 300 clips a period. So I would mark the game and then go through those clips and watch all the breakouts as they're organized in a row, right? So you can just see their tendencies and how they play. Um, Going in that sheet for the players so they know how our future opponent plays. Um, During the games, um, you're doing the same thing live in real time, marking the period so that intermission and the coaching staff comes and sits down, everything is already sorted. They sit down, they go, okay, I want to watch our regroups from that period. And, uh, the, the staff is sort of divides and conquers, so try to make sure we watch every uh, facet of the period, if anyone has anything. Um, you know, say to the, to the rest of the guys, okay, I think they got something here. Every time they went it back to this guy, he's doing this, and then you make your adjustments in period. And With technology being as it is now for the, the Marlies, we could actually put together a meeting at intermission. So watch, 
you know, the game for five, 10 minutes, whatever, uh, go over it, find something. And then with the server, that was something I had to learn how to operate. Um, all of the work that we would do, all our computers are connected, including ones in the dressing room and the player lounge. So we'd make, an, uh, make a video for the players, go into the, the room and say, here, here's what they're doing. You know, here's where we're getting stopped. Here's what we want to change. And all this happens in sort of 10, 15 minutes. And mm. it's, uh, it's hectic, man. It's uh, there's a lot of work involved, and, and on practice days, uh, the you know preparing for future opponents, and um, you know it's time consuming. Not to mention, you know, doing individual player meetings, showing them, you know, for example, Colin Greening was someone who was a winger uh, who wanted to get better at faceoffs. So uh, he would say, "Hey, I want to see my faceoffs." We'd sit down, we'd watch, and see why he's winning, why he's losing, uh, and, and he would make adjustments from there. So uh, that that's really just the service of the job. It's uh, there's there's an analytical bent. There's working with the development staff. There's on the ice at practice, and it was a lot more involved than I certainly ever expected. And not to pat myself on the back, but it, it's a pretty integral role to to a hockey team. And uh, I kind of came in blind and feel like that by the end of my two years, I had a pretty good grasp on it. So it was just a wonderful experience overall. Well, I imagine it must also be rewarding too, because as I've uh, you know been been working in hockey for, for the past few years now and gone to know more about the game, like. Um, you know, there's, it's very easy to just be like, oh, you know, Sidney Crosby is very good. Okay. Well, everyone knows that, but in terms of actually kind of getting some sort of a uh, practical information that we can use, whether it's the how or the why he does it, or, you know, how, just how the game, how the game works and breaking it down into certain segments and trying to figure it out that way. Like that's the stuff I enjoy a lot more than purely just, you know, a ranking system of, of players in terms of the best guys. Cause we already kind of know who those guys are. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's unbelievable how. You know, you, you look at the numbers and you, you go to a website and say, this guy's a great Corsi player or whatever, and we would take our numbers and say, it, I, I found it really rewarding to be like, okay, well, Justin Hall is struggling breaking up the puck according to the numbers. It doesn't look like that to us. Let's go back through these games and see why the numbers and the video don't add up. And sometimes you just, you know, you, you have such heavy biases. You remember certain plays. Uh, obviously, recency bias is big. You know, how we played last game. But um, it's it's really good that the numbers kind of point us to to what we need to watch, to what we need to fix, and you know the numbers are obviously an integral part of, of what we do. Um, you know, it, it's interesting to me. One thing I, I think I learned as well is just how little points tell us about uh, a player's game, how he's been playing. Um, you know, I, I have a couple players in my head that really just the opportunity that these players are put in so greatly shapes their output. Mm-hmm. You know, putting a guy on first power play unit, putting him with good players, playing him against bad players, you can really inflate a player's numbers. And oftentimes you're not doing it on purpose. It's just that's where the guy fits in your lineup. And he's just, uh, you know, he benefits from a great situation. But to me, I, I really found that the opportunity players get greatly drives their st- uh, statistics. Well, especially for defensemen. I feel like defenseman points are... Uh... A, a big time misrepresentation generally of their contributions to the team. Yeah, yeah, that's something obviously um, that every team is working on measuring better and then figuring out how can we better quantify this guy's um, his input. And it, it, this sucks to say on this uh, show here, but I really did come away with a feeling, particularly with prospects, that you got to watch them. Like. Mm-hmm. You, if you don't see these guys and how they're getting, putting up the numbers they're putting up, it's really tough. And, and so what that's led me to, to sort of change my thinking 
is that I don't really know anything about these guys. You know, when I come on here and I talk about, you know, if we were to talk about Nikita Sherback, <laughs> uh, I saw him 10 times, you right. know, 12 times last year. I'm pretty comfortable, but not fully comfortable. But the guys in the on the other side of the AHL that I didn't see, I can't tell you. I, I have no clue about those guys. Whereas before, I'd look at their stats and I'd say, oh, he's 23, he put up... 50 points in seven games. This guy's a good player, but I'm less confident in making those uh, assertions now. Yeah, well, no, I'm I'm fascinated about you know it, it ties into the job you're doing with them in terms of uh, breaking the game down into segments. But you know, let's let's stick with the theme for defensemen and how we're looking at you know the breakout example you mentioned, and obviously uh, a defenseman has numerous different uh, responsibilities on the ice for each shift and. Uh, the breakout might just be one of them, and that's sort of an input to the greater overall output for for him as a player. And I'm always mm-hmm. sort of uh, fascinated by the idea of using that sort of stuff as a little bit of a an instructional tool, so to speak, where you know you can mm-hmm. you can go back to the drawing board and maybe if you improve that a little bit, then the overall imp- overall performance is going to take a a jump itself. And I guess you know yeah. you had a unique opportunity there working with a team actually where you could sort of. Use the use that stuff as an instructional tool, as opposed to just uh, writing articles that you know fans might be reading, but other people that who can actually do something about it might not. Yeah, and, and what's interesting is um, you know remembering that these players are people, and in uh, you know so when we would find stuff like that, certain players are more motivated, just like certain people at your office work harder than others. And some guys want to know that stuff; they want to see it. Show me why I'm not breaking the puck out well. Show me why. Um, you know, teams are entering the zone easiest against me or why I'm doing a good job at that. You know, it's, there's so much information and, uh, it's, it's tough to have the time and to know what to take the players, but, um, a lot of it is on the players. So these guys, um, you know, we would take the information like, uh, like you're talking about if some guy was struggling breaking the puck out, we would go to him and then the players have iPads on the bus. And all the clips are broken down, all their shifts are broken down, so they can take an iPad, and certain players after a game will want to watch their shifts and say, okay, let's see if I did better on the breakouts today, and, and what can change. And it's, it's just so much video to watch, mm, and yep. so little time when you play 76 games. It's really tough to, to get through everything, but so the players have to kind of take it on themselves a little bit and watch their own stuff as well, and the more motivated ones do. So something I get asked quite a bit by uh, more novice followers of the game who are just trying to dip their toes in and get get into it is sort of how should I watch the game? And I understand that uh, can be a bit of a tricky open-ended question to answer because, you know, thankfully everyone picks up on different stuff when they're watching and they approach it from different angles and that's what makes it interesting as a fan. But I'm kind of curious how you go about it yourself because whether it was while you were working with the Marlies or back when you were banging out systems analyst posts uh, on the score, you know, you obviously have a certain uh, certain way that you approach breaking down the tape and i'm just kind of curious is there certain things you're looking for when you're going into it you know whether it is mm-hmm. with face-offs or breakouts or, or you know neutral zone play or or do you just kind of sit back and just wait for something notable to happen and then you kind of key on it and go from there um yeah no i, I think i would i definitely watch the game differently now than i did two years ago like as a player you know the systems you know where you're supposed to stand generally but you don't really get into the why. And until you try to teach something, you don't really fully understand it, right? So it's not so much that I did much teaching with it, but just in talking with the other coaches, people disagree. You know, when, when people argue on Twitter over a play or whose guy it was or whatever, 
I mean, that's happening in the Toronto Maple Leafs office, and oftentimes to a heated degree. Um, so you end up talking about the systems and what would happen if we did this and what would happen if we did that. So generally, I'm watching structure because that's you know that's sort of what uh, what my job was, and that I changed in that regard. So I'm wanting to see. You know, the reality is, and this is a little depressing for fans to hear, there's not much change between teams. You know, coaches have their own tweaks. Um, you know, they'll be more aggressive or less aggressive, but there's sort of a general framework that everyone plays within, and that's something that I hated. And I, I often, I think every team should get together in the summer and, uh, you know, each coach throw three new ideas at the wall and, and really try to play differently than other teams. But that's not the case. So anyway, there's a general sort of framework, and I'm wanting to see if the players are playing within it. You know, I'm looking to see, you know, knowing how the Leafs play, is the winger where he's supposed to be standing when they're in the D zone? Are guys switching properly? Are they cutting off the air of the ice they're trying to? And eventually you watch it so much. When it doesn't look like how it should, that part stands out to me. So I, I, I just, I'm looking to see where guys are within the structure. Mm. Well, having, you know... Uh really done such a, a big deep dive in terms of uh breaking down the tape on a on a basically a, a play-by-play basis um did you, you know cut, come across any uh biases or, or certain um you know you, you being drawn to certain player archetypes or skills because you know i was listening to a podcast mm-hmm. recently with uh with Daryl Morey and he was talking about how he's always kind of found that he's uh, been drawn towards bigger players for whatever reason, in terms of guys that play down low and, 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 and play in the post. And I, you know, as an example for myself, I, I, seem to gravitate towards defensemen that can rush the puck out themselves and, and make things happen with yeah. their feet. Even if it, you know, I, I fully acknowledge that a crisp tape to tape breakout pass might even be more effective in terms of catching the other team off guard and transition. But at the same time, you know, when you watch a guy like Brady share something, I can't, I just can't help but uh, be infatuated with his game for whatever reason. So I, I'm sure everyone has those. Have, did you notice that you're drawn to a certain type of player like that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I'm, I'm a lot like you actually in that, in that regard. I really like, like, I don't know if he's going to be able to do it as well at the NHL level, but wait till you see Travis Dermott go back on a hockey puck. Like mm. when he goes back on a puck, he's like Mike Vick in the pocket. Like guys can't hit him. He just he makes that first fake, that first shimmy. He's he's just so agile and he he gets away. He shakes the first defender. And to me, if you can have a defenseman that can go by, go back on the puck and beat that first guy, you're breaking the puck out. I mean, it's you know, not every time, but it's certainly giving you a great chance to it. Uh, I really enjoyed that with with you there. Justin Hall also skates the puck extremely well out of his own zone. Um, otherwise, uh, it's something I didn't expect that I kind of grew an affinity for is general fearlessness. Mm-hmm. Guys who are just relentlessness, I guess. Like Zach Hyman, when he was with the Marlies, going like chasing down a hockey puck on the forecheck, they had the puck in the offensive zone so often because he was just relentless and fearless and there's oftentimes you have guys going in on a uh, going after a puck who could be first to the puck, but they'll pull up and will hit the guy instead of taking the hit and you know being, getting that first touch on the puck. And it's just so valuable. The forecheck dies if you pull up and make the hit and look like a hero because you hit a guy, but they get the first touch on the puck. So I love guys like that. Um, and when I say that, I, I don't just mean on the forecheck. Like Zach Hyman and uh, Andreas Janssen for us at the Marlies is incredible at this. Just He'll take the puck to the net against bigger guys. He will take the hit. Patrice Bergeron is like that too, right? Mm-hmm. He's, he's just always after it. And uh, it's it's really unbelievable. It's, 
you know, I, I know everybody's trying hard, but there are guys who are trying at just a different level, and they just have that, that ferocity to them, and I certainly grew an affinity for that. Well, I always go back to this example, but I remember, what, maybe two years ago now, before he really broke out and started playing with Sidney Crosby, I remember that, you know, there was a sport logic stat they were tracking about how Connor Sheary was one of the best players in the league at, at loose puck recoveries. And uh, really? it makes it makes sense that, you know, that would be a very useful skill. But especially when you're playing with a guy like Sidney Crosby, giving him more opportunities to do something with the puck if you're able to constantly keep recovering it. And we don't necessarily, unfortunately, know how repeatable. Like, it seems intuitive that, you know, a guy that does that mm-hmm. well for a while will be able to keep doing that. It's a repeatable skill he has in his back pocket. But, you know, because we don't have league averages or or a percentage of the time that each player is able to do that uh it seems it's like more of an eye test thing at this point but i feel like once we do get that video tracking that's going to become something that we're going to be able to test vet and all of a sudden start using a lot more in terms of our analysis and that would be amazing and um and i do i would say it's absolutely a repeatable skill um and of course the the inverse of that or converse of that i guess is uh is there are players who are terrible at it and Mm -hmm. so of course, that that skill itself does show up in our numbers, right? Like we see those players drive play better, their their course is better than, than other players. But I'm not confident that it that it does a good enough job that it shows that it really represents the value to a club uh, of what those players bring for you. And um, when people talk toughness, and it's sort of a punchline on Twitter. And, in, in, at least within hockey Twitter, mm. to me, hockey tough is that guy who takes the puck first. Like that's a tough player to me. That's those are the guys I want on my team. So when a GM says we want tough players, you know, it's not always. It doesn't mean you want some someone to punch someone in the face all the time. You need toughness. It's it's a valued skill in a game where there's so much physical contact and speed. Yeah, my cats. Yeah, <laughs> my, my first cats cameo here on air. Hey, buddy, what's up? Okay, anyway, that's all I had to say. Um, so. You know, you work with the Marlies, as I mentioned, for two seasons, and it was obviously a great time to be a part of that organization considering the talent that passed through those two seasons. And, you know, whether it's Nylander or Kapanen or even a guy like Connor Brown or Zach Hyman, as you mentioned, there's guys that are contributors to the NHL level right now. But, you know, for our purposes here, I think that rather than just saying, uh, you know, those guys are really skilled and good at hockey, I think it, it someone I'm more curious to pick your brain about is a guy who was on the Marlies last year, and that is Seth Griffith. Because, you know, there's this concept in baseball of the 4A player, of a guy that's sort of that that in-betweener where he's a bit too good for the AHL level, he's constantly producing there, but he can never seem to stick at, at, at the highest level. And, you know, either it's him or uh, TJ Brennan, who I'm sure you interacted with closely, or even a Mark Arcabello, and you have all these guys around the league that... Uh, you know, at, at the analytics community would love to see actually stick in the NHL because they've shown that they're such contri- such useful AHL players, but maybe they're lacking a certain skill or there's something in the way from them stopping them from making that jump. Or do you think it's just purely a, a you know not having the right opportunity at the right time? Well, it's not opportunity in, in Seth's case anyway. Um, yeah, there there are those players, and and they're interesting cases. You know, you look at Matt Paramina as well in mm-hmm. the Syracuse. You know, defenseman who put up sixty points this year in a league where it's tough to come by points, and, and he can't play in the NHL. These guys, they have major shortcomings. Like to put up the number Seth Griffith has put up, and not be able to play in the in the NHL. At some point, you look at one team who said, uh, you know, he just we don't think he can do it." 
and then you see it happen a couple times with a few different teams, and you, you got to think there, there's something there. With Seth, there's something there. I mean, he's extremely talented. When we got him uh, at first, uh, we were playing Hartford that night, I believe, and I, I said to other coaches after the game, I was like, this guy's like having a cheat code. Like, when he is on and he's engaged, you can't touch him. He's just he's elusive and he's smart and, you know, just pucks are getting to the net constantly. But uh, smart offensively, I should clarify. But um, he is, when the going gets tough, when people make it hard on him, he's just not able to be the same player. You know, you can get him to shut shut down. You can He can be intimidated. Um, you know, in, in playoffs, it just, the turnovers just got so many. And, and I know that turnovers are not necessarily a bad stat. And, you know, he's got the puck a lot. That's mm-hmm. great. Um, but he just, he's high risk. And the turnovers were, were just so many. I put together a package of his turnovers at one point from the, from the series. And it was just, he wasn't helping us. And, and it's unfortunate, right? Because he is that talent. But, you got to be able to do it when it's hard, and that's uh, that's something that he hasn't shown that he's able to do yet. And guys, that, guys like Brennan and and Kawamine, they're just—it's all defensive. It's yeah. just defensive gas, and you you feel like you're giving back what he gives you at the other end. Yeah, well, I wonder if those guys just might have come uh, come along a bit, you know, maybe five to ten years too early. Because I do wonder if if the game will change to, uh, it's it's like that, especially at the NHL level right now. It is very uh, conservative, and and people do like to uh, focus on on defensive miscues as opposed to uh, sure. to valuing uh, exciting offensive plays. And maybe if that changes, those guys will become more valuable. But I mean, you see a guy like Nikita Nesterov who is obviously incredibly talented, but is now uh, went to the KHL because NHL teams just yeah. thought he was a bit bit too much of a defensive liability. And I, I think that's a shame as a, as a fan who enjoys watching it from an entertainment perspective, but I understand the uh, the risk averseness. Well, one thing, too, it's, um, it's not necessarily that it's always the defensive issues. Um, you know, I'll talk specifically about T.J. Brennan, mm. who the, the guy has an unbelievable skill, which we jokingly always said is, he shoots the puck in the net. It's a hard thing to do in this game. He can shoot the puck in the net, and that's insanely valuable, probably criminally underrated, in fact. But um, with him, he's a good enough skater that he can get himself the offensive opportunities at the American League level. He can get up in the rush, and he can be that second wave, and he's able to get the puck in a spot where he can use his skill to be in the net. At the NHL level, He's not fast enough to get to those spots. It's just that one year faster where you know that he can shoot it in the net. You know he makes good offensive plays. But if he can't get to those spots because the speed is just takes him out of the eligibility to, to be able to get those opportunities, then he's no use to you because he's still bad defensively. And now he's not going to be able to create offensively. So uh, I would say he's just a guy who got caught speed-wise in the middle. And uh, unfortunately, he's not able to use his tools at the, at the, uh, sorry, at the highest level. Mm. You know, a, good ex- a great example of that is, uh, is a guy like Timu Polkinen, where you look at his AHL totals and his goals are through the roof and his shot metrics are through the roof. But then when he comes to the NHL level, maybe it's just, it's either the, the, you know, the physical act of moving fast or it might just be the you know, processing the game at that certain level that the NHL sure. has played at. But the things he was able to get away with uh, just kind of get taken slightly away from him, and all of a sudden that changes his per, uh, effectiveness. So it's a shame, but it is yeah. a real thing, I feel like, that we have to actually just yeah, watch the guy very closely. And that's there's, there's a number of players like that where you, where you think, 
boy, he sure is good at the American League level. Why can't he do it there? And if you can't skate, you can't play. That's the core of every player, every skill you want to talk about. I mean, you have to have to be exceptional at a lot of things if you're not a, not a good skater to make the NHL. So that's that's a fundamental rule. Got to be able to skate. Mm. Okay, so uh, while I have you here, I did want to do a little bit of a fun exercise where we can go through uh, some potential breakout candidates for next season. And you know, you having done uh, a lot of scouting of opposing teams, so you can talk about other guys you watched the AHL level, mm-hmm. HL level that weren't just on the Marlies. Like, is there anyone? that stuck out to you where you're like, wow, maybe in 27, 8, 17, 18, or maybe even in the future, this guy could have a chance to be really good? Like, is there anyone that popped off the page like that to you? Yeah, I would say at the top of my head, first off, I'm just going to say that the most obvious one is Kasperi Kapanen. Um, you know, it was it would blow my mind when I would read writing about the Leafs and their prospects, and people would not include Kapanen, even though he was on our team in the top five or, have Jeremy Bracco ahead of him or, you know, like those are good players, you know, Bracco's a good player and a good prospect, but Kevin is like we talked about skating. He is when we played, um, I forget who we played, but it was one of Brooks likes earlier games with us. And uh, he sat behind me on the bus and I said to him, you know, we were talking about Kevin and he said, I said, do you think he's fast? Like even at the NHL level, and he said, he'd be one of the 10 fastest guys in the NHL today. Mm-hmm. Like that's how fast this kid is. So, yeah. Um, he can shoot the puck too, and uh, when he's engaged, which he will be, I expect him to be a contributor, not just sort of a, a passenger in the Leafs. Uh, another kid would be uh, Kyle Connor in um, in Winnipeg system. Uh, I think his, uh, his totals weren't mind blowing or anything, but I think he's I'm say he's 20 years old. I think he had about 40, uh, 43 points in 50 some games. Um, and I think a lot of that came in the second half of the year. There was a point where we were playing, uh, going to be playing them, and he had scored eight goals in the previous eight games, and he, he became their number one threat in Manitoba. So he's another guy who stood out to me. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, obviously on the cap and in front, um, you know, he showed towards the end of the season he scored some big goals for the Leafs and, and, and looked really good, so I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about him. I mean, you mentioned that, you know, you're reading prospects lists for the Leafs. Like, I know that while you were working with the Marlies, you weren't technically... I mean, you were still on Twitter, but you weren't uh, tweeting as you were before, but I, I imagine you were you were kind of lurking there and checking stuff out. Like, how much are you how much are you guys actually following along with what people are saying about the team and churning out online while you're still working with them? Constantly. Everything you're writing is being read by everyone. The... Uh, the the whole no one reads what uh, what they're writing. We don't read the newspapers. I believe that the players are reading. Um, you know, I, I can't. You know, I get into too much with our, our own staff or anything, but but people are reading. And I, I was on Twitter as much as I was before, particularly with uh, being on the bus. So um, always always interesting. And and to be honest, it's really valuable. Like there's not a ton of time for the staff, as I said. Like. The next game comes in a few days, and there's not really a ton of time to, to go deep uh, as much as you would like to on, on stats or analysis. And you know, you're you're kind of preparing for the next game in the American League level. You're working on development. Um, so the, the the hockey community provides a lot for these teams, and any team that's not reading and not using the ideas and learning from the uh, the theories and the the tests that everyone is doing out there, I think they're falling behind. So. Uh, it's not a bad vanity. I think it makes a lot of sense for uh, for staff to be reading uh, everyone's work. And there's a lot of smart people up there. Yeah, yeah. It's like doing your homework. And I know that uh, that your former boss Kyle Dewis is listening right now. So, so hi, Kyle. Um, <laughs> Hello to Kyle. Um, so, did you get a chance to watch the uh, the Lehigh Valley Phantoms at all last year? Did you guys? Did they come across your schedule? Uh, yeah, 
Yeah, we played them twice earlier in the season. So the reason why I ask is because I'm kind of curious because, you know, you look at the, the Philadelphia Flyers blue line for the season, and even if they continue to to give Andrew McDonald regular minutes, you know, with the departure of Michael Dozato in free agency, there's a, a vacancy there for for someone to step in from the AHL for them. And they have a, a number of guys they've drafted over the past few years, whether it's Robert Hag or, or Sam Moran or, or, you know, Travis Sanheim. And you go on down the list of, of guys that could fit that bill. Like, is there, or did any of those guys stand out to you or, or it, is it just going to be a kind of a wait, wait and see sort of thing? Yeah. I, you know, I certainly wouldn't have gone in depth enough into those guys to, to feel confident making, uh, making any claims about those guys. They're, uh, Obviously, we looked at their blue line going into the, the games and went, wow, okay, this, they, they have some real prospects here. But, um, you know, I, I didn't really get a, a sense of, uh, of any of those guys. I, I was just also thinking about guys around the league that, uh, that kind of stood out to me. And uh, Christian Juice in, uh, in Washington system, defenseman there, mm-hmm. he's uh, just a dynamite offensive player. He's a guy, if you like watching defensemen skate the puck, this guy is He's really dynamic. I, I was a big fan of his, and he's just another name I wanted to throw out there. Well, with with Schmidt and Alzner now gone, there's certainly an opportunity there for someone to step up and take it. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's going to happen right out of the gate, but he seems like a, a guy that could potentially fit that bill. You, you know what's really interesting, too, is the guys who you hear their names, and you're like, oh, my God, Utica has Jake Vertanen. We're screwed. And then you watch the games, and it's I don't get it. You know, I don't see what the hype was or, or whatever. I mean... He was a guy that I just, you know, the, the hype sort of precedes these guys, and they have the the names that you read about. And you know, they're supposed to be prospects, and the American League's hard, man. It's it's a it's a tough league, it really is. And I think uh, Craig Button once said something like, "Point per game guys in the American League are dime a dozen." Like all you need to do is go on AHL.com, and that is AHL.com, and that's just not the case. It's it's tough to get points, and some of these guys. I mean, Nikita Sherback, I. I didn't particularly fall in love with him. Uh, I'm just trying to think of some uh, some bigger names, but yeah, no, it's a uh, it's a tough league. Well, what about? Uh, I imagine you saw a bit of uh, Alex Nylander playing playing with uh, Rochester. Like his his, you know, I didn't personally get to scout him or anything, but his point totals were certainly underwhelming. Like, would should people be concerned about that, or yeah. is it just one of those things where the AHL is tough and he's super young and he's going to be fine? <laughs> That's that one really perplexes me because. Uh, I did make some comments uh, to that effect uh, around some pretty smart people in the Maple Leafs organization, and, and they made, you know, I got some pushback that just, first, because he is so young, and it is, it's, it's like I said, it's tough to get points, but certainly he was underwhelming by the eye test. Uh, I, I can't think of anything that I saw that made me think he was uh, exceptional, and uh, I can tell you he was certainly afforded the opportunity. He was playing with good line mates and playing on the power play, and uh, I don't think he hit 30 points on the season, so... Just my very cursory evaluation. I, uh, yeah, I, I think there might be a little reason to be worried about him. Mm. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, yeah, I haven't really given any names in terms of breakouts for myself, but I think uh, you know a guy like Timo Meyer is someone I want to be watching very closely because obviously uh, Patrick Marlowe walking in free agency left a bit of a void on the wing there, and he uh, he's shown to be a, a shot generation machine at pretty much every level he's played at, and. He looked really good during the during the last season at the NHL level and produced at the AHL. So mm-hmm. he's uh, he's a guy I'm pretty high on. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I like him uh, coming out of junior. He's certainly a talented player. Um, like you said, he should have a little bit of an opportunity there this year. Um, you know, within uh, the Leafs organization, there's there's other guys who could surprise. Uh, you know, like I said, I like Dermot a lot, but Andreas Johnson is a guy. You haven't heard his name too much. 
kind of quietly put up 20 goals for us. Um, and, and that was after a really slow start. You know, he had a really bad concussion with us in playoffs uh, when he came over from Europe. Um, he was a little hesitant and tentative to start the season, wasn't really creating much offensively. And by the end of the year, I mean, well, in playoffs, I think he had six or seven goals in our 10 games. He's a, He was a big part of our team. And like I said, he kills penalties. He's fearless. He's um big fan of his. So you never know. He's a guy who could sneak through and make the least too. Mm. Definitely, I uh, got to keep an eye on. Um, okay, before I get you, lay you out of here, uh, you know James Myrtle is going to kill me if we don't talk about the athletic a little bit. So let's uh, <laughs> let's let, let, let's 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 plug some stuff. What can people uh, expect from you? I know you're starting up on on August fifteenth. Uh, are you going to be doing uh, more sort of uh, system systems analyst stuff? Is there going to be a, a backhand shelf podcast revival? Like what well, like what's going to be going on? What's your plan? And uh, what can people look forward to? Uh, yeah, I'm the full, uh, full on there the August 15th. Um, James has been good enough to, uh, to give me a good amount of freedom in terms of the content I produce. I'll certainly be doing, uh, systems analyst work and, uh, you know, Elliot Friedman, if he's willing to, to let me continue to, to go back to thoughts on thoughts and the other features that I used to do that, uh, people seem to like, I'll be incorporating those. Um, I'll pretty much be writing, you know, sort of four or five times a week, depending on, uh, on what I'm working on and, um, yeah, I think um, I don't think I'll be having my own podcast, but uh, certainly the the shackles are off for uh, for being involved in radio and in others' uh, capacity. And I, I am talking to people about doing something a little bit more permanent there. So that's uh, that's all in the works. But uh, mostly, I'll just be using what I've learned to break down the NHL, and I'm not going to be focusing just on the Leafs and Marlies. Um, you know, there's, uh, I'll be looking at the NHL as a whole, primarily the, the seven Canadian teams though. Uh, and just using what I learned from analytics, uh, you know, trying to incorporate some of that learning, you know, what I learned from, uh, from systems play and how the Leafs want to play and other teams. And, uh, yeah, just sharing what, uh, what I've learned and hopefully, uh, doing a decent job of it. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, I'm, I'm sure we're going to be getting you back on this podcast as a as a as a regular guest as the season gets going. So I'm looking forward to that as well. And um, yeah, yeah, just keep up to keep up the good work. I'm glad to have you back in the mix. I know that uh, the the you know summer hockey Twitter hasn't been the best right now. I know people are arguing a lot about uh, <laughs> how just how good Oscar Kleffbaum is, which is a, a very niche <laughs> subject that might not be the most welcoming to the casual fan. But uh, it'll get better. Right. As, uh, it'll get better as we get into the fall. So. Um, it's good to have you back, Justin, and uh, we'll chat soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. Mm-hmm.